Becoming vegan seems to be the decision that plagues the mind of a lot of us. We keep getting told that eating meat is one of the biggest contributors to climate change, but there's still so much of it on the shelves, and a lot of us have grown up with meat being the staple ingredient of our diet. It's hard to make that shift. Eating meat is one thing, but as this conversation will hopefully shed some light on, there are other ways to start bringing veganism into our lives, namely with what we wear. The fashion industry is another major contributor to climate change that needs a bit of a revolution. We've already talked about fashion on this podcast, and Annick Ireland is another leader who's making waves into the industry. She's the CEO and founder of the organisation Immaculate Vegan, which searches for the most sustainable vegan fashion and homeware. Like with vegan food becoming more and more available, Immaculate Vegan is making vegan fashion more accessible to everyday people, including someone like myself, who likes fashion but doesn't know a whole much about it. It ranges from high-class sustainable brands to everyday wear. Annick is another example of someone who's decided to apply their skills to align more with her own values, and she created a brand that's now having a massive impact. You can't help but feel that the more people who make this sort of shift, the more likely it is that we'll start seeing the positive impacts on our planet. Welcome to the final interview episode of season one of Our New World. Annick is a brilliant guest, really inspiring, and so much to get from this conversation in such a short amount of time. So, let's get into it. Our New World is sponsored by the Millennium Alliance for Humanity and the Biosphere, MOB for short. The MOB is a grassroots effort providing a central meeting place for individuals and groups concerned about the greatest challenges of our times, which we like to call the human predicament. One solution that keeps slapping me around the face whenever I speak to guests is this need to create a community of people who are all interested in learning about these issues. The MOB is the epitome for one of those places where community is welcome. So go and check out some of the blogs, some of the artwork, some of these podcasts, and the general community at mob.stanford.edu. That's M-A-H-B E-D-U. Well, Annick, thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, so first of all, can you tell us a little bit about your journey? My journey. So, um, yes. Do you mean my journey as an immaculate vegan? So journey? into, towards environmentalism. It was a very broad okay. question. Towards, yeah, environmentalism. towards environmentalism. Okay. Um, so look, I can't pretend to have been an environmentalist all my life at all. Um, I probably came to it quite late in life, I think. I mean, I think like, a, you know, a lot of people growing up, I sort of, you know, I loved animals. I had lots of pets. Um, I flirted with vegetarianism when I was young. Um, and just sort of, you know, kept relapsing and having a burger. Um, and it was really only, you know, much later, probably about um, about 12 years ago, I think now, um, that I started becoming, I think, much more environmentally conscious. I guess my path was really um, around animals. Um, so I got a, my partner and I got a retired greyhound. We were looking for a dog for ages um, and somebody recommended a greyhound. We live in London. Um, and apparently they're brilliant dogs, you know, if you're really busy because they need hardly any any walking or anything yeah, at all. Yeah, I've heard totally that. Amazing, true, by yeah. the way. Yeah, every, everyone get a greyhound. <laughs> um, so 
so yeah, we got this greyhound um, and she was amazing. Um, and basically she sort of started making me think, you know, about how we treat animals really. And why do we treat, you know, how can we love our pets so much and we'll do anything for them and we spoil them to pieces, but we sort of have this very, very different way of looking at other animals, you know, whether that's the animals we eat, um, you know, particularly, you know, I started educating myself more about how we treat animals in industrialized farming, which is, you know, how we consume the majority of our meat and dairy, certainly in the Western world, um, and became very horrified about that. Um, and also just how we treat animals in the wild as well, you know, the destruction of their habitats, um, which is obviously horrendous for them, but causing us no end of problems as well, right? So I just, I just basically, that was sort of the gateway for me to become more educated, become really aware of how we, how we treat animals and how we treat the natural world. So that, that was the start of it. Um, and gradually as my awareness grew, um, I decided to become a vegan. So that was about six years ago. Um, and I started thinking about, that was really, I guess, kind of informing more about because it was such a kind of, it became such a key part of my values. I started really thinking about how I want to live my life and, and the kind of work I want to do. I was working at the time as a marketing director for a big media company, which is what I've done in my career for quite a long time. And I was starting to get a bit bored of that and starting to think about, you know, I should I'd like to do something different, but I don't really know what it is. So um, I essentially um, started while I was working a blog on Instagram which was around vegan fashion. And the reason I started that was because when I became a vegan, I found the food side of it actually really easy. And this is a time when I think veganism as a sort of lifestyle choice was starting to become quite fashionable. Um, I mean, that's just grown and grown, I think, in the last few years. And that's yeah. obviously, you know, it's been a combination, of, I think, both, you know, personal health, but also a big aspect that has been around the environment um, that, that's helped, I think, driven that growth. And so, yeah, the food side of it was really easy. But when I started Googling things like vegan shoes, vegan bags, uh, that, that was a whole nother ball game. Um, and in some cases, sort of quite horrific, really, in terms of what I was finding. So I thought, this, you know, this, this can't be it. Like, surely these can't be the choices that are out there. Um, so I started just to do some serious research. A lot of that was on social media. I spent weeks kind of looking up brands. And what I found was actually there were loads of amazing brands out there, beautiful premium boutique brands making really high quality products, but they were just not very well known. Um, and they certainly weren't mainstream. So I thought I'll start the blog just essentially to, to help hopefully show people what's out there and inspire them and show them really that you don't have to compromise. So you can you know, live your values. If you're environmentalist or you love animals, you can absolutely, you know, you can love fashion as well. Um, and you can love beautiful things and you can love style and you don't have to kind of make this compromise anymore. So that, that was really the whole point of it. And that just kind of took off from there, really. So it started to get really popular. Um, I was getting brands contacting me, asking to be featured. I was getting people contacting me saying like, wow, I had no idea these brands existed. You know, I had no idea vegan fashion could look like this. I think people sort of thought it was going to be, you know, hemp sacks and uh, plastic shoes and all kinds yeah, of nasty yeah. stuff, right? <laughs> which, is, which is kind of, I think, what a lot of conceptions are. I mean, those, those are my conceptions as well. Sure. Um, and yeah, it just it just really took off. And then I basically left my job <laughs> and decided to turn it into a full-blown company. The dream. And, yeah, and, yeah. That, and that's where I am now. So it's brilliant. I've managed to, yeah, hopefully turn my values into, into a business and, you know, I get to spend all my time doing something I love. Yeah, of course. That's amazing. And it's interesting what you say about like the conceptions around them, because um, or the perceptions rather around them is that it's, I think it's similar with vegan food when you think, okay, well, yeah. if I take on vegan food, it's going to be worse or it's going to be, you know, backwards or something like that. Whereas actually 
Yeah, it's gonna be tasteless. It's gonna be just salad leaves yeah. or something. Yeah, boring. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting. You said um, you found the vegan side easy. So I know you said you flirted with vegetarianism when you were younger. What was yeah. it? Do you think that was different about finding it easy at first? Just going back to the food side of things first. Like, what yeah. was it that you found easy? About oh, I think around? it was like it's a it's like a different world now. I think. I mean, um, you know, the, the first of all, I just think the choice of food that's out there right now is in, is incredible. Um, and I think particularly the sort of the role that meat substitutes have had. And I think, you know, a lot, a lot of people, this is a quite contentious topic, because some people sort of think, you know, well, they're really unhealthy, it's processed food, we shouldn't be eating them, we should just be eating, you know, whole foods. And of course, for health, that's the optimum diet. Mm. But the reality is that, you know, in the Western world, a lot of our diets um, are need to be quite convenient, and there is an element of processing. And actually, if you want to get people to choose things that are better for the environment and better for animals and and still better for health mm. i think you need to you need to make it appealing and easy for people and i think that has that has really totally cha- transformed i think the way people see vegan food now right they think oh, i can have some of my favorite meals or i can go out and have a great burger or a great mac and cheese or you know whatever it Absolutely, is yeah. and, I, and, and that can be vegan you know as well as of course i can make myself you know something really delicious and, and wholesome as well so i think just the choice on offer is amazing i think also um, it's not become such a kind of, I think, a binary thing anymore. As in, it's what it used to be. I think you were either vegan or you weren't. Um, and now I think there's so much more um, acceptability of, you know, meat-free Mondays, or you know, I'll just be vegan during the week, or I'll be vegan for one meal a day. Yeah. So there's a, you know, a little, trying a little bit of vegan, I guess. And I think that makes that makes it accessible to people. Um, they don't feel judged, right? They don't feel like I have to, I have to suddenly become 100% vegan, or like, why bother? And that's very often, you know, that kind of view, I think, is very, very off-putting to people. Whereas I think if you if you make it like, you know, it's a journey, it's an incremental journey, everyone does different things and they do it at their own pace and they do it in their own way. Yeah. You're going to get so many more people feel that that's something that they can do. So, yeah, yeah. I, th- I just think it's a totally different landscape now. And, and that's only positive. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree about the, um, the sort of incremental changes as well. More people I talk to are sort of talking about the habits and just doing it every so often. And then it becomes more regular. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Because actually, you know, just changing a couple of things in your diet isn't that hard, is it? And then when yeah. you do that, then it's like, well, that wasn't, you know, that was quite easy. I'll do something else. Exactly. Whereas if you suddenly tell people they have to, you know, give up cheese, for example, yeah, mm, because that, that's yeah. often the hardest thing for people. Right? They're like, no, I can't, I can't yeah, give up yeah. cheese. I can't do it. They made me. <laughs> no, it's so true. Yeah, make it make it easy for people. You've got yeah, to you've got sure. to make it easy and non-scary. I think. Yeah. And so if we take that to the fashion side with um, immaculate vegan, so yeah. I feel like that's something that's actually quite alien in a way to people because a lot of the stuff, especially you know, when I was doing environmental studies and stuff like that. Um, even I didn't hear about necessarily vegan fashion. And yet the fashion yeah. industry is obviously a huge contributor to you know, greenhouse gas and, and environmental degradation. So yeah. could you tell us a little bit about Immaculate Vegan, kind of what, yeah. the, you know, what the goal is, what the purpose is, what it does, which I know you've mentioned already, but also how it mm-hmm. makes it a bit more accessible um, you know, for, for people like myself, the general public, who are maybe not as fashion inclined. <laughs> We've <laughs> yeah, talked about fashion already well, on the podcast. You know, the, the, the... <laughs> The key thing is everyone wears clothes, right? So yeah, you yeah. don't have to like fashion, but um, but every, everyone wears clothes. So and that's actually why why the fashion industry is so powerful and has mm. um, such an impact. Unfortunately, you know, in many cases, a, you know, really bad impact on the environment, but also can be a massive force for good yeah. if if there are some changes to be made because it's huge. It affects everyone. You know, we all contribute to it in some way with our money. Um, you know, we all we're all feeding it. 
it employs a you know a huge number of people throughout the world. Yeah. Um, a very large portion of which are in um, you know the the global south. Uh, a very large portion of which are women, um, and a very large portion, unfortunately, of whom you know work in fast fashion and are paid very poorly and work in pretty appalling conditions as well. And a lot of that, I think, has come to light during COVID as well. You know, we've heard lots of stories about the big brands cancelling orders, um, you know, not not investing or even supporting people in terms of you know not being able to come to work because of COVID or working sure. in safe conditions and all, and all kinds of horrendous things. So yeah, fashion fashion is important to everyone, whether we like fashion or not. I think. Um, but I think you're right. It hasn't sort of had the same maybe exposure in terms of veganism as, as vegan food has. Yeah. So, um, I mean, essentially, vegan fashion is just fashion that doesn't have any animal products in. So the obvious one is leather. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's obviously very present in sort of traditional shoes and bags and accessories. Um, but it's also things like wool um, and silk um, and then even materials like down, which, you know, goes into padded jackets and, yep. you know, bedding and things like that as well. So they're, they're the kind of main, fur, I guess, is a really obvious one, but it's one that I think so, you know, it's funny, so many people wouldn't go near fur because um, it's like, oh my God, fur's terrible. But, you know, they would maybe wear leather and wool because yeah. they're not necessarily aware of the impacts of those materials. Um, so our job at Immaculate Regan is really, I guess it's twofold. One, I think, is to um, give people information and, um, hopefully just give them facts around, you know, around fashion, you know, what does mainstream fashion, what kind of impact does it have on the environment, Mm. which is both a lot of the materials that are used, um, but also actually just more widely around, you know, mainstream practices in fashion in terms of the impact they have on um, labor and how people are treated and, you know, that the ethical labor side, I I think is really important to us as well. Mm. Um, And then, I mean, primarily, you know, we are are an e-commerce store, so we sell stuff. So we have loads of amazing beautiful brands from around the world um, primarily UK and US um, and all of our products are vegan so we, we have you know we specialize particularly in footwear and bags because again that's where a lot of the sort of leather alternatives are sure. people are searching for those um, but we also have a lot of clothing as well um, and we also have a small beauty section and a homeware section which we're going to be growing in the future as well oh, we're nice. primarily women's but we do have uh, an expanding men's category as well I saw yeah yeah and yeah and we have we have a lot of men actually i think this is a really underserved part of the market it's really interesting because we don't really do any advertising or marketing to men at all and they just i think they just find us because they're you know they're looking for things like vegan trainers or you know vegan work shoes nice vegan briefcase things like that um so yeah so that that's kind of what we do and we've been going for just over two years now nice and sorry just going back to the materials for a second because i Mm -hmm. was i i was kind of you know reading through the list and obviously doing a little bit of research around it and i was amazed at sort of the list of materials that can be a problem you know like silk and you know, cotton makes sense in terms of water usage yeah it, but only if you've looked at it really um but what are the alternative materials because also you've got a really great um blog or list on the website it was one of the pages yes. that's like common yeah. misconceptions and it was so interesting reading about oh, yeah six myths about vegan fashion. yeah the six, yeah. that's it yeah and it was um one of them was you know it's all plastic and mm. that's bad for the environment. And so it's kind of like, yes. okay, well, is it the lesser of two evils? But I was just wondering yeah, what the yeah. alternative materials are. Yeah. So, yeah, isn't it all plastic, I think, is a really common one that we yeah. get. And so I'd, I'd love to, yeah, I'd like to dispel that myth once and for all. Because, well, it's a little bit of like yes and no. So there is a lot of plastic in vegan leather, mm-hmm. um, particularly if you're buying from fast fashion, you know, um, quite low-priced um, sort of mass market um retailer you know if you're buying like a leather bag a vegan leather bag for 10 quid it's probably gonna be made of pvc 
Right. Uh, in fact, it's definitely going to go to PVC. So we don't sell anything with PVC in it. Um, so PVC is the, is the plastic to really avoid. It's polyvinyl chloride. It releases a lot of chlorine when you produce it. It's super unsustainable. Um, it also, you know, it's the sort of what people associate with pleather. So it's that kind of very quite shiny. It doesn't yeah. feel very nice. It doesn't look very nice. Um, in terms of the sort of the premium vegan leathers, and there are many. So um, there are a lot of the ones now. And that, by the way, this has just been an area of huge sort of technological development over the last few years. There's, you know, some businesses now who have raised a lot of investment and are doing amazing things with the new, with sort of, the, you know, the latest vegan leathers that are out there, both in terms of performance um, so, you know, durability, how it looks and feels, Absolutely. and also the sustainability aspect. So some of the key ones are apple leather, which is made from um, the waste harvest from the apple juicing industry. So oh, wow. apple skins and apple cores, which is really amazing. So it's yeah. a waste, totally waste product that otherwise it's not used at all. Um, there's cactus leather, uh, which is made from obviously cacti. Mm-hmm. Um, not a waste product, but cactuses are a brilliant plant to use because they use very, very little water. They don't use any pesticides. So again, like a really sustainable source. Um, there's also Pinatex, which is pineapple leather. That's actually another made from another waste product, which is pineapple leaves from the pineapple harvest. Okay. And that's often giving subsistence farmers another source of income as well. Yeah. So that's another great product. Um, there's cork leather, which is made from the um, bark of the cork tree. Uh, which is really sustainable as well. So the cork trees actually aren't killed. They're harvested every seven years and the harvesting of the outer layer of bark actually enables them to keep growing and it makes them grow even faster. Amazing. Um, and cork forests are amazing for the environment as well. They sequester loads of CO2. So, so that, yeah, there are all these, you know, I've just named a few. There's also grape leather, which is from wines, you know, from, from grape skins from the wine yeah, industry. Yeah. There are new ones coming out all the time. Um, I think the key, the key thing about them to know is that most of them, do have some level of plastic in them. And I think that's where people, I think it's really important to be very open about that because this is not saying that vegan leathers are perfect. They are not perfect. Mm. They're not the most sustainable thing you could ever do. Um, so the reason they have some level of, and it's called PU or polyurethane. So it's better, it's better than PVC. Yeah. Um, but the reason they have them is really for it to provide structure and durability. And it, and it varies in terms of how much, you know, that component is. So the, 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 I guess the, the key things I think that's really important to know, just looking at the facts are, so one, actually not all P polyurethane comes from uh, fossil fuels. Some of it actually comes from plants. So you, we're now able to create um, biopoly oils, which come from things like cereal crops. So a lot of the brands that we sell at Macula Vegan get their polyurethane in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, quite often it's also made from recycled plastics, which come from ocean waste, for example. So that's another great thing. Yep. Um, but even, I mean, there's, there's actually... So, so, yeah, most of our brands are, that's the kind of thing that they're doing, which is brilliant. Um, however, even, even brands that are just selling 100 products made out of 100% polyurethane, for example, so that's the, the, you know, the, the, the most common synthetic leather that's used. Yeah. Um, I think it's important to remember that these are alternatives to animal leather. So are they perfect? No, but are they better than animal leather? By a long way. Yeah whatever angle you look at really so you know even forget about the animal welfare side if you just look at the environmental impact you know if you're buying a a pair of synthetic leather shoes they will have um released seven times less co2 in their production than a pair of animal leather shoes they use 14 times less water um most of them use very few chemicals animal leather typically uses about 250 plus chemicals in its production that includes things like arsenic cyanides you know, lo- lots of really quite mercury, lots of really quite nasty carcinogenic yeah. um, compounds. 
So, and animal leather doesn't biodegrade either. So I think when you're comparing them, it's important to be very honest about what they are and what they're made up of and, and the impact they have, and just look at the actual facts. Mm. I think part of the problem is that people have typically thought of animal leather as something that's quite natural um, and, you know, may, maybe better for the environment. And the reality is it really isn't. An animal skin is natural, but to turn that animal skin into leather, i.e. something that doesn't rot straight away, it needs to undergo a lot of treatment. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so, so your shoes or your bag lasts. And that's really what vegan leathers are there to, to do. They're there to provide an alternative to that. So they are, I think, you know, significantly better for the environment than animal leather. Um, they're not perfect, but they are getting, I think, better all the time. And the great thing is there is, a, there is a really good choice of different vegan leathers there out there. So, you know, you can absolutely buy ones that are much better than, than others. So, yeah. you know, as a tip, I would say is just look, you know, look for the ones that are made out of primarily plant-based, bio-based kind of materials. Um, if you're not sure, you know, ask, ask the brand um, and, you know, try and choose ones that have either no plastic component, if that's, that is possible with a very few, um, or the least uh, plastic component you can. Because so, yeah. that, you know, that does exist. Yeah, there are a couple of things you mentioned there. One of the things I love you're talking about is kind of the transparency of, you know, just telling people what it is. And I think Immaculate Vegan, yeah. if anyone, people, you know, listening, go to the website, it's really brilliant just just to do a bit of research, if anything, because, you know, if you don't know yeah. much about it, it's got that aspect to it as well. And yeah. we've talked fashion on this podcast before, and there was a little bit of discussion about how the fashion industry isn't particularly transparent and it isn't very good mm. necessarily at transmitting information. Yeah. And that seems to be something that people want these days as well, isn't it? Oh, like a hundred percent. And like, and I, you know, I, th- I think as citizens, I don't think any of us expect brands to be perfect. You know, we know that if you're buying things that there will have been some resources that have gone into making those things. Right. Um, and I think we, we even understand that really big companies can sometimes find it really hard to change overnight because there's so many different components to think about. But I think we, what we do want to, to know is, is, well, yeah, we, we want, we want the facts, right. We want the knowledge. We just want yep. to know wh- where, what a brand is doing you know, whether that's what materials is it using, how did it get them, how, it, you know, where it's workers, how are they paying them? We just want to know those things. Yep. Um, and what are they doing, you know, in real terms to, to improve? I think that's really what people expect and they massively just value transparency. I think the problem is that there's, well, firstly, I think there is a lot of greenwashing, right? Because I think people know now that that's what people want. And certainly some of the big brands have been really sort of hauled over the coals for this recently, you know, saying, using lots of very ambiguous terms about eco, you know, eco-friendly collections and conscious words, collections right? and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's not really anything behind them, or there's very little behind them. Mm. Um, and certainly, there, you know, there's not really any actual um, details about what they're, you know, what they're doing to, yeah. to really, you know, what, why is that thing eco-friendly? Um, I think also a lot of big brands struggle because they have very, very complex supply chains. You know, one, one garment, for example, might ha- but might have actually been in 10 different countries because it's buttons are made in one place it's you know maybe the the cotton's grown in one country it's dyed in another it's you know put into a textile into another so there's there's they're so complex often they don't even know you know um what's actually happening each day of their supply chain they don't know who's you know which workers have been involved or how they're treated or how they're paid they have so many different suppliers themselves so i think part of the work is actually just getting big brands to know their own supply chains. Um, I mean, that's something that the I think you've spoken to Osola de Castro from Fashion bit, yeah, Revolution. Yeah. Um, and that, that's a you know a huge aspect of what Fashion Revolution is all about. It's about actually getting getting brands to be transparent, 
and getting them to know to understand and know themselves what they are doing so that they can make it better and you yeah. know and understand where are the point things that are not doing you know they're not doing very well at um so yeah i think i think that is a really big part of it just getting brands to be transparent yeah and just on that bit as well is i, I mean when i said you know i'm not necessarily fashion inclined is i actually love fashion no one would be able to tell most of the time I love fashion. <laughs> um but i'm not particularly savvy about it and when i go shopping I've only just started looking, you know, for, for labels and for particular things. You know, PVC is something that's fairly new to me as well. Yeah. So Immaculate Vegan does a very good job of, you know, putting putting facts on there. If you were to just go out shopping or you were to be looking online, mm-hmm. is this stuff obvious just for everyday consumers? So not necessarily people who will go and do the research, but to try and get more people involved. Yeah. In this. Where do people get information? You know, what do they look for? Yeah, I mean, I think I think actually it is quite hard, and that I think that is part of the problem, um, and it's probably why I think you know a lot of bad fashion practices have been able to be perpetuated just for so long. But I think there are absolutely things we can do, one hundred percent. So I'd say as a number one, um, whatever you're buying, just try and look for materials that are animal free, um, as a almost as a kind of um, I think as a a shortcut to hopefully being more sustainable again there are definitely caveats around that so I would say you know again you know if it's you're looking for leather alternatives definitely avoid PVC and try and choose ones that are as bio-based as possible Uh, but yeah try try and avoid um, animal materials Uh, the second one is because cotton is such a ubiquitous material in fashion um, traditional inorganic cotton um, is very unsustainable so it uses a lot of pesticides it uses a lot of water so try and choose organic cotton wherever you can and actually a lot of the really big brands now like the big high street brands that we know like john lewis and mark suspensers a lot of their own ranges do have organic cotton now so yes it is more expensive than than inorganic cotton but it doesn't have to be super expensive at all you can get pretty good value organic cotton stuff now um and there are a lot and there are lots of brands that sell organic cotton um so that is another just you know one i think quite easy thing you can do to automatically cut your carbon footprint and, and use of water and pesticides as well um and I think, yeah, the, the next one is around, I guess, synthetic fibres. Um, so quite often people, this is where it gets a bit tricky because not everyone necessarily knows what synthetic fibres are. The obvious yeah. ones to us are poly, polyester, for example, is you know an obvious one, right? Um, I think everyone kind of knows that's synthetic. Um, but they wouldn't necessarily, you know, nylon, maybe I guess is another one we'd know, which is often used in, you know, swimsuits or tights or um, active wear, for example. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, yeah, try and choose... Um, non-synthetic fibers where you can now there are actually some amazing um materials which are bio-based um so essentially they come from cellulose from trees um and the one the main ones are tensile well tensile is actually the brand name so tensile model tensile lyocell um ecovero we have quite a lot of information on our blog about them as well it's interesting you're seeing a lot more mainstream brands starting to use those materials now they're really sustainable um, they're very sort of low impacts in terms of, you know, water, pesticides, chemicals. Um, and they're actually really lovely. They're really high quality materials. They're, they're often used as an alternative to, you asked about alternatives earlier. So mm, yeah. um, they, sometimes they're called vegan silk. Um, so tensile is quite often referred to as vegan silk and it can be sort of made to have a really lovely silky kind of feel about it. Right. Um, so if you're trying to avoid, you know, silk as an animal material as well, that's a really great one to go for. Mm. Um, but yeah, just just things like cotton. Oh, linen is a really great one as well. So linen is a, you know, it's, it's one of the oldest materials yeah. we know, um, but it's actually incredibly sustainable. The whole plant is used, you know, unlike cotton, which tends to use only a really small part of the plant. Yeah. And again, it's you know, no pesticides, low water. Um, 
so yeah, there, there are some quite simple things that I think you can do around around materials that start getting rid of the ones that are not so good for the environment. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Because that's I think you know part of the point of this podcast is to sort of give people solutions and just looking out for these things is a is a really great resource. Um, it, yeah, one hundred percent. And there's also a really great website that I use a lot, which is called Good on You. Good on um, you. I will share all the links that you've talked about as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think this is it's a really nice one because. You know, the truth is when you look at sustainability, it's not a, you know, it's not a, it's sustainable or it's not, right? It's such an ambiguous thing. It can mean so many different things. It's a, um, it's a continuum, right? Yeah. Um, and quite often as consumers, it's very hard to know like how sustainable is a brand? How sustainable is a product? You know, because there, because you just, there's so many different things that go into that. Yeah. Um, so what Good On You does is it makes it really simple. Essentially, it's, it's, a, it's a rating system for brands and they rate all kinds of brands from really massive, you know, big brands to smaller, more sustainable brands. Mm. And they look at a variety of different components. So they look at, for example, animals. Um, I think they look at ethical, well, I know they look at ethical labor. Um, I think they look at manufacturing, I think packaging, a couple of other things as well. Um, and they essentially look at, they, from all of that, they come up with an overall rating okay. uh, of how, how good a brand is. So as a consumer, it's kind of easy because they've done all the hard work and you can just look at that and go, oh, okay, I see why, you know, yeah. that brand is really good versus that brand. And they give you more information about why, if you're interested, but it's just it's just a nice way to kind of instantly see how, you know, how well maybe some of your favorite brands are doing and that's whether right. they also suggest alternatives, which is really good as well. Nice. Yeah. And when you talk about incremental steps, that's a really good first step to be like, okay, I don't know anything. I'll just look at this, see what's, you know, yeah. if something's interesting and then do a bit more research if I want to, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I would suggest do it when you're, you know, when, when there's something you need as well. So for example, if you're in the market for a new pair of trainers, well, that's the time to really think about, okay, well, let's look at the brands I love. Let's see maybe how they rate. Okay. How, what other brands are there out there mm. um, that you know, I might like, and let's see how they perform as well. So if you do it, you know, as and when you need something, I think then again, it becomes much, much easier to do. Yeah. Nice. I think that would take us towards nicely the sort of solutions aspect of it. Um, mm. And I would like to ask, the question that we always ask in this podcast, which uh-huh. is, what is one thing that you would recommend people do to move the dial for our planet? Oh. And it's a big one. <laughs> Most people can't do <laughs> just one thing. And it's obviously, it, it doesn't have to be related to, yeah. you know, uh, to um, vegan fashion. Absolutely can be. Oh, well, I can, I can say one thing, like 100%, which, which is go vegan, uh, which might be quite an obvious one to say, but I think there's so much information out there now that shows that actually it's the... Uh, it's the one single thing that you can do that probably has the biggest impact on the environment, go vegan. Mm. Um, and by the way, when I say go vegan, I don't mean if you're, if you're eating loads of meat and dairy, go vegan overnight. Uh, you know, cause that's probably not gonna, you're not gonna sustain that and you're gonna be really miserable and like want to give up in a couple of days and hate me for even suggesting it. <laughs> um, so when I say go vegan, I would say, you know, as an end goal, I think that's a great end goal to have just because it really does make a massive impact. You know, it makes more impact than, than you know, not flying. It makes, you know, more impact than not having a car. Um, it's the single biggest thing you can do. And it's also something that is like 100% for the majority of people in their own control as well. Mm. It doesn't require us having to lobby businesses or lobby government. Those are all good things we should do, by the way, for all kinds of things. Um, but it's something you can just, you can decide to do and you can just do it. Um, and it, and it's, honestly it's easy it's enjoyable you feel brilliant personally and you feel like you're making a massive impact on the environment as well so um yeah go vegan go vegan not that (laughs) thank you very much (laughs) for being on the podcast you're very very welcome thank you so much for having me i really enjoyed it yeah thanks anik
That comes the end of a conversation with another really inspiring woman who's just decided to do something that contributes to our new world. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, a lot of people that I talk to on this podcast have a specific set of skills that they've decided to dedicate to a socio-environmental cause. And that's something that we can all do, no matter how big or small. We all have something to give, and applying it to our passion, or shifting it to give it a sustainable theme, isn't as hard as it might seem. The fact that you're listening means that you care enough to think about it. And for that, I'm not only really grateful, but also proud of the fact that I think humans really care. And that means a lot to me, and I think that is what I wanted this podcast to do, is to provide a more positive outlook on what we can do for our new world. Thank you again for tuning in to season one. Please share it, please follow it, and as always, email in with ideas and feedback, and if you would like to get involved, the email is max at marbonline.org. That's M-A-X at M-A-H-B online.org. Till next time.